Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Murphy's League. Today's episode is going to be the only upload of this week coming out on a Wednesday, not a Tuesday or a Thursday, but that means I'm going to be recapping everything that happened from week three. Obviously, I'm a little late to all of it, so I'm not going to go into too much detail about some of it, but there was a lot of really entertaining games, so I want to cover at least some of it, uh, a lot of interesting storylines and a lot of stuff that's going to impact you know, predictions going forward, so it's definitely worth talking about worth mentioning some of these storylines i'm also going to be previewing week four that's going to be the usual episode so it's going to be winners and losers from the week some fantasy football starts and sits and then finally i'm going to go over some best bets as always there will be timestamps located down below if you want to skip to your favorite segment feel free to go ahead and do that this episode is more than likely going to be a lot longer than usual uh i just spent a very very long time writing it and it's a lot more pages than the normal episodes so i guess we'll see when it's all said and done how long it ends up being but once again it's going to be broken into segments i've really enjoyed doing this just so people have more of an opportunity to listen what they really want to listen to and it just makes it more engaging for you guys i've gotten feedback from a lot of you guys that you like this format a lot more so again i love all the feedback um let me know if there's anything you guys want me to change any you know thing you do like anything you don't like feel free to let me know I'm very open open to criticisms and uh you know comments all that stuff i love interacting with you guys on instagram so if you don't follow me over there be sure to go follow me at murphy's league over on instagram again i'm here on spotify and i'm also on apple music so be sure to share this with your friends and family i appreciate each and every single one of y'all and let's get into it guys so before i get into the winners and the losers of week three i just want to talk about some storylines some games uh there was a lot of really really interesting stuff going on this weekend and i think it would be a disservice to the miami dolphins to not start there they had a historic weekend um obviously one of the biggest talking points of the entirety of the weekend they had the opportunity to break the nfl record go for 73 points mike mcdaniel chose to be classy only settled for 70 <laughs> just ridiculous the fact that they had as many points as they did and you got to ask how much blame should be given to this broncos defense and how much credit should be given to this dolphins offense frankly i think it's a little bit of both i think this dolphins offense is nothing short of fantastic mike mcdaniels truly is one of the best offensive creative minds in the entire league Tua tugavailoa is just amazing when he's being held up upright and you know staying true to himself in the pocket because he can absolutely dice you up this offensive line has done an incredible job keeping him protected but to his credit he is getting the ball out quickly and making the right decisions with the ball and a lot of times mike mcdaniel is scheming guys wide open so there's just a whole like lot going right for this miami dolphins team and it doesn't really feel like they're going to be slowing down anytime soon i mean they put up some absolutely dumb and I mean dumb numbers in this game. To have over 300 yards of, of offense before halftime, Tua had over 200 yards of passing by himself before halftime. He didn't even have his first incompletion until the third quarter. That is just, it's Madden-like numbers. It's insane what they were able to do. 10.2 yards per play is just bonkers. They were getting a first down every single time they ran a play. Uh, Devon A-Chain, going absolutely stupid along the ground averaging over 11 yards per carry 18 carries for over 200 yards two touchdowns on the ground two touchdowns in the air raheem mostert recorded four touchdowns himself as well so again it wasn't just the passing offense that was going really really well which it was it was this rushing offense as well that just looked completely unstoppable got to give a lot of credit to the offensive line in this one because you know the skill players can do all that they can and they have fantastic skill players that can execute at a really high level with what they're asked to do but the blocking both pass blocking and run blocking was amazing in this game and don't forget they did all of this without jalen waddle but it was just a total clinic it was so impressive what they were able to do i know i heard tons of comparisons of people saying like it looked like a practice squad going against the starting offense and frankly it really did it was so so incredible what the miami dolphins were able to do and honestly from the denver broncos perspective just incredibly embarrassing to let an opponent just absolutely humiliate you the way that they did um Again, I don't want to sound like such a Debbie Downer. I really want to point more. I want to give more credit to the Miami Dolphins because 
that's just how I like to do things on this on this channel. And uh, 726 yards of offense was the second most in NFL history. The second team to ever record over 700 yards of offense. And keep in mind, the last time that it happened was in the 50s. So before, you know, the common Super Bowl era. So effectively, it was the most effective and most potent offense ever recorded in history. It's just amazing. And then Again, going back to the O-line and how well they played, there was no sacks allowed in this game. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa was upright and, you know, diming up this Broncos secondary, which is supposed to be, you know, it was supposed to be better. It was supposed to be a strength of this team going into the season. Um, and it was just super, super incredible to see what the Miami Dolphins were able to do. Got to give them a lot of credit. And again, has to be the storyline of the weekend because, we just witnessed greatness, and who knows when the next time, if ever, we see a 70-point performance from a team. And the Miami Dolphins, everything seems to be going right for them. I'm really pulling for this team, and they have a really, really fun matchup this weekend against the Buffalo Bills, but we'll get to that later in this episode. Uh, a couple more stories I want to talk about. I guess one more story before I get into the winners of the weekend. Um... I swear I talk about this weekly, so I'll keep it brief, but let's talk about the Bears really quickly. I want to talk about two things, actually. We'll, we'll get into the Bears, and then we'll get into one more topic, and then we'll go into the winners of the weekend. But let's talk Chicago Bears. Um, from one extreme to another, from possibly the best team in the league in the Miami Dolphins to the absolute worst team in the league in the Chicago Bears. Um, I mean, this is the worst team in the league, right? I think we can kind of agree on that. I don't really think I would take anyone uh, or sorry I don't think I would take the Bears over anyone right now I mean there's a reason why the Broncos just got 70 dropped on their head and now they're going to play the Bears and they're they're favored in that game so and it is in Chicago so again it's not a matter of oh it's just a home field advantage and they're a one-point favorite so it's basically a pick them no they're straight up like three and a half point favorites in Chicago that's how bad this team is right now and it's just crazy to me that I was ever so bought into this team. Obviously, I'm a fan and obviously I'm hopeful. And, you know, that's really what makes this sports in general just so exciting is when you can feel that kind of hope and belief in your team and your guys. Um, but I just don't even know where to start with this team. I'm so beyond disappointed. And if you know me, you've probably heard a lot of this already. So, again, I'm not going to get too deep into it because I'm going to be talking about this week in and week out on this channel but it's just it's so disappointing and underwhelming what we've done and there's just so many ways to look at it i mean if you look at it from ryan poles coming in and there was a lot of hype around this new um staff you know starting from the top starting in the front office ryan poles comes in has the easily the most money in the entirety of the nfl has amazing draft capital to work with and frankly his assets that he signed this offseason simply aren't working out the way that a lot of people would want them to work out. Obviously, the two biggest names coming out of free agency were TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds, uh, two guys that came in to sort of work as a committee and replace what they lost in that linebacker unit when they traded Roquan Smith. Uh, not only has Tremaine Edmonds not been playing at the level that you know you expect him to play when he's being paid that much, but also the fact that, and I am totally at fault here too, um, you just don't build a team this way. And I say I'm at fault because I bought into like, oh, well, this Tampa 2 defense really needs, you know, a linebacker that can cover a lot of ground and cover the seam. It's effectively a cover three defense, right? With your linebacker being that third deep guy. And Tremaine Edmonds seemed like a really good fit. And so I was buying in and I was convincing myself, well, this has just proven that it doesn't matter what the scheme is, what the fit is. You shouldn't pay off-ball linebackers this kind of money. It's just not smart um, tactics. It's just not how you build a team. You should build from the trenches. And although this Bears offensive line is actually pretty good, in my opinion, and I think they get too much slack, uh, I think a lot of the blame has to be given towards Justin Fields and his inability to get the ball out quick enough. This offensive line actually does give him pretty good protection and that's one half of the equation, right? You need to win on both sides of the line of scrimmage. The Chicago Bears offensive line can win at the line of scrimmage. They really can. But defensively, there is just nothing there. There's really not a lot to look forward to along the defensive line. Obviously, bringing in Yannick Ngakwe late was something that I was a little bit excited about. But 
there's just no flashes of hope along this defensive line. They really haven't shown me much at all. I'm waiting for Zach Pickens and George, uh, Gervin Dexter excuse me, to get more snaps because it just feels like why would you not at this point? You might as well see what you have in these guys and give them the experience and get them out there on the field. Right now, it's Justin Jones and Andrew Billens playing on the interior. I don't expect that to keep up for much longer. Their Snapcat actually went down in week three, which just makes absolutely zero sense to me but my point is this is just so chicago bears they're building the team in all the wrong ways um and i just like it's crazy how quickly my opinion can change in the matter of three weeks but frankly i think it's fully granted and i've seen enough with the very small sample size that i've seen I think it's just time to fully start from scratch. Um, you know, it's Caleb Williams times. It's time to give up on Justin Fields. I've already seen enough. I was expecting him to take massive leaps forward, and he's honestly done the opposite. He's truly regressed in this scheme, in this offense. They're not even, you know, scheming up designed run plays for him, which to an extent I understand because you want to keep your franchise, quote-unquote, franchise quarterback healthy and upright, and you want to develop him as a pocket passer. But... He's clearly not developing as a pocket passer, and you're still not working into his strengths. At that point, it's just stubbornness within the coaching staff. And again, it, it all starts from the top, right? It, ownership needs to be held accountable. This is a loop that we've been caught in my entire life as a Chicago Bears fan. Um, and this is this no different at all. The fact that we're, we hire Matt Eberflus, a former linebacker, coach slash defensive coordinator you know we signed two big time linebackers and we just expect our defense to be fixed practically overnight with a bunch of young guys in the secondary and i know we've dealt with some injuries back there but this is just not a formula to success uh the problem is i don't think we're gonna get rid i think Eberflus is gonna be gone by the end of the season but i think i truly think ryan poles is gonna be given one more year i just i don't really know exactly why that's my theory but i just I just have a feeling as a Bears fan, knowing this team very well, that that's what they're going to end up doing. And I think they're going to go hire another guy like a Matt Nagy. Well, they're not going to hire Matt Nagy, but in the vein of they're going to go get an offensive guy, an offensive mind. God, wouldn't it have been great if we just got Shane Steichen instead of Matt Eberflus? He is doing incredible things over there for the Indianapolis Colts. But either way, I I'm going to stop talking about this. I've been rambling about this for too long already. My point is... Ryan Poles had a... I'm going to pause this really quick. Sorry about that. Bus outside my window. Anyways, my point was Ryan Poles had a clean slate with his team. He had so much room to operate. We literally were the worst team in the entirety of the league last year. And somehow we got worse. So I'll just leave it at that. Let's talk about one more storyline before we get into the winners of the weekend. And it's the San Diego... Oh, I almost said the San Diego Chargers. Whoa, they haven't been in San Diego in a long time. It's the Los Angeles Chargers. Let's just... Again, I'm going to keep this one really brief because I, I don't really want to talk about the team entirely. I just want to talk about Brandon Staley. If you've heard me and you've been listening to my podcast regularly, you know I hate Brandon Staley. Uh, maybe, okay, that's, that's a little harsh. I don't hate him as a person. I don't even know what he's like. But he is not a good head coach. I'm going to die on that hill. This dude is not a good head coach. And his decision making is beyond suspect. And frankly, he should have been fired the day <laughs> they lost that game to Jacksonville. That night, he should have never come back to this building. I don't know how you don't lose a locker room after a loss like that. Um, or just half of the dumbass decisions that he seems to make on a weekly basis. This weekend was no different at all. Why the fuck are you... What are you thinking? What are you doing on that fourth down play call? If you don't know what I'm talking about, just look it up really quickly. Look up Chargers fourth down on their own 20 from Vikings game, something like that. My point is, it's so Chargers, and they are extremely, extremely lucky that it didn't result in them losing that game. And I know, Brandon Staley's argument's going to be like, we trust our guys to get the first down. Sorry about that. My ringer's on. They trusted their guys to get the first down, and if they get that first down, the game's over. But, dude, if you don't get it, you're giving the opponent the ball back on your 20-yard line, and they're going to be knocking at your door immediately. And they're only down four points. Like, yes, they can't settle for a field goal. They need to get a touchdown no matter what. But you're really going to trust your defense in that scenario when you could just punt it, and it would effectively be 
the same thing, but the field position is just far worse. And then you're still trusting your defense anyways. So I get the message that he tries to send and he's always the biggest advocate of like, oh, we trust our guys. And sometimes, sure, it pays off. There's been some really big fourth down conversions that the Chargers have gotten in the past. But overall, Brandon Staley's decision-making, I just question it so often, far, far, far too often. And this was one of those things where it's like, what are we doing? You've already proven you've gotten a few stops against the Vikings. The Vikings have already shot themselves in the foot a couple times this game by turning the ball over, especially in these long drives that they didn't, weren't able to seemingly sustain. And you're going to give them the ball back on your 20-yard line right on the doorstep and give them that opportunity to answer. I get that you're going to be punting the ball anyways, but at that point, there was so little time on the clock and you'd rather give your defense that type of leverage and that type of field space to work with. It's just, there's been way, way, way too many times where I've questioned Brandon Staley's just everything, his entire decision-making coaching philosophy. I don't know how much of it is to blame on, um, is it Joe Lombardi? Is Joe Lombardi still the offensive coordinator there? I believe he is. No, I don't know. My point is maybe there's some blame to be shifted on the offensive coordinator there, but Brandon Staley, you need to step up and put your foot down and say like, no, this is a bad decision. You're a defensive mind. Trust your defensive guys. You are so, so, so lucky that you are not 0-3 this weekend and they're only 1-2. and Because frankly, with a play call like that and, and the way that they decided to do what they did when they did it, frankly, in my books, they should be 0-3. There's just no reason they should have won that game and they're very lucky they didn't. So, with all that being said, let's get into some winners from the weekend. My first winner of the weekend has to be CJ Stroud. I haven't really talked about him yet on this podcast, I don't think, and he deserves to be talked about. I mean, I'm extremely impressed with what he's been able to do. I was definitely sleeping on this guy coming out of Ohio State. Um, something about those Ohio State quarterbacks I just don't seem to trust, and there was a lot of negative buzz around him coming out of the combine, especially you know regarding his S2 tests and all that type of stuff. But he's been extremely impressive, and I got to give him his credit. Um, the numbers are, really do you know, tell the whole story. He's fifth in the league in passing yards right now, and I know that he's played down a lot, so it does you know, pad his stats in that regard. But the fact that he's been throwing this many balls per game and hasn't thrown a pick is incredible. For a rookie, that is extremely amazing. It tells me a couple things. It tells me that he actually can read the field, unlike most Ohio State quarterbacks, and He's making the right decisions with it. I think a lot of credit has to be given to this offensive staff around him that's coaching him, and they've got some decent weapons for him there in the form of Tank Dell. It seems like they really have something good going on down there. But either way, it's just a really good sign for Texans fans, and I really do wish the best for C.J. Stroud, rooting for him 100%. And it's just really cool to see a rookie quarterback coming into Houston in a situation that you know, there wasn't that much to look forward to around him. I know that this offensive line has some bright spots, but they've had they've been beat up along that front. And CJ Stroud has effectively made, you know, chicken salad out of chicken shit. And I, I think it's really impressive what he's able to do. And his stock is significantly up. He is now the favorite to win offensive rookie of the year. And honestly, for good reason. He's been nothing short of incredible and had a really, really great performance against the Jacksonville Jaguars this week. Obviously there was some flukiness to that game. You know, Jacksonville had a couple turnovers and there was a fullback that took a kickoff return to the house. But I mean, to get a dominant win like that at home or on the road, actually, I believe it was. Um, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised about the results of this game, given that Jacksonville always seems to give one to Houston every single year. It's just what they do. But I mean, to win by 20, that really is a statement. And again, a lot of credit to CJ Stroud. I mean, Texans as a whole are winners from this weekend. Obviously, they won their football game. But to beat a division rival by 20 at their place, I just want to give a specific shout out to CJ Stroud because I really haven't been talking about this guy enough and his numbers. I mean, they back it up. He's been playing incredible. The next winner from the weekend, let's go with Shane Steichen. Also, shout out Matt Gay. Matt Gay was automatic. I believe he had four field goals from 50 yards plus this weekend. But Let's go back to Steichen really quick. Um, going into Baltimore with a backup quarterback and a backup running back and winning in the fashion they did was truly incredible. Defensively, this team has been really, really good. Uh, the Colts, you know, have been a team in the past, honestly, the past like five years. This has been a defense that's been extremely solid to elite. 
Um, they play more of like a bend but don't break philosophy. But they handled Lamar Jackson and this offense very, very well. They forced seven punts, forced two fumbles in this one, and were just able to hang around all game. They never had a moment of panic. They never seemed that the game was out of their hands. And I, if you, I'm going to flaunt for a second. I told you guys to take the Colts spread. I was not expecting the Colts to win this game at all. Um, I mean, I was definitely expected to be close, but to go into Baltimore and get a win like this, Shane Steichen, he has to be given a lot of credit because he is a great offensive mind. He made it work with Gardner Minshew, and obviously Gardner Minshew is one of the better backups, if not like the best backup in the entirety of the league, but still super, super impressive what they were able to do with you know the injuries that they've had with some of their guys not being in the lineup and just finding a way when there's a will there's a way and there was a way that they beat the baltimore ravens this weekend got to give them a lot of credit this is a football team that's a lot more competitive than i think i give them credit for going into this season and shan steichen is a very big reason why he is a winner from this weekend let's talk about josh dobbs man and again i could probably do the same thing that i did with uh cj stroud and the texans and i could probably lump the entirety of the arizona cardinals into this one because they game planned very well for michael parsons um you know there was enough there just to slow him down because there really is no stopping michael parsons but just you know forcing him to read plays and running option plays towards his side of the field is obviously that's just football 101 that's just how you stop or at least slow down really really good pass rushers but they were also using chips creatively there were times where you know they had a tight end out there blocking him and then a guard was pulling to his side um there was a deep ball that went to michael wilson that was set up on a play like that so they were doing really impressive stuff schematically and i was really surprised with how well they handled michael parsons and just this dallas defense as a whole but, I mean, they only allowed two sacks and had no turnovers as an offense. But let's get back to Josh Dobbs really quick because Josh Dobbs, not only does he have an incredible story coming out of Tennessee, studying, I believe, astrospace engineering, really, really smart guy, um, but he played amazing. I mean, going 17 for 21, not the most yards per attempt, only had 189 yards and a touchdown, but, I mean, only four incompletions against this Dallas defense. That is nothing short of incredible, and I would love to give Josh Jobs his flowers because, again, joining the team this late into training camp, they cut Colt McCoy, add him to the roster. Everyone's saying, like, oh, they're just tanking for, for uh, Caleb Williams. They're not going to be competitive in any games this year. And, frankly, this team has been competitive in every single game they've played, and they honestly, I don't want to say they put on a clinic against the Dallas Cowboys because it wasn't an absolute ass-whooping, but, I mean, the Dallas Cowboys have a fantastic defense. That's what they're known for. And this is a far above average team. You know, they're a top 10 team in the NFL. And the Cardinals put the league on notice by beating them. It was really impressive what they were able to do. Now, I will say the Dallas Cowboys, they have a lot to work on. Dak threw a pick late in this game. But even before that happened, I mean, it really didn't matter. That pick was just a desperation pick. And that's not really what I'm going to be focusing on. What I will be focusing on and that the Dallas Cowboys really do need to improve, though, a couple categories. First is red zone offense. It's kind of been a problem for them going into last year. Um, it seems like a pretty consistent issue. Play calling does seem to be an issue in that regard. Obviously, Mike McCarthy taking over as a play caller. Um, if you listen to my podcast before the year, I didn't really think that was going to help too much of the issues that they had in the red zone. I didn't think Kellen Moore was the problem there. But penalties were really what killed them in this game they had 13 penalties in this one for 107 yards all in all i mean i think they'll be all right but again they need to improve in the red zone uh we might see teams take a page out of the cardinals playbook to slow down micah parsons um not that it really matters too much because there's really no slowing that guy down but I think the most important thing, at least from the Dallas Cowboys perspective, of what they need to improve was penalties because that really was, they just dug themselves a hole really early into this game and, you know, left a very small margin for error and they weren't able to bring it back in the end. My last winner of the weekend, or two two more, sorry about that. I need a special, I need to shout out a special dude. And again, you can group his entire unit into it, but Brian Branch. My God, was this dude everywhere for the Lions this weekend. Obviously, CJ Gardner-Johnson missing some time there, so Brian Branch filling in a bigger role. I loved him coming out of Alabama. Was a little bit concerned about his size, but just thought he was super, super versatile. Obviously, played nickel and safety for the Crimson Tide down there, and he was everywhere. He looked exactly how he looked in Alabama. Undersized, but just not afraid to tackle anybody. Really, really great form tackler in terms of like, 
he has so few missed tackles for someone his size it's incredible i mean there was a point where he got he got three tfls in this game that is freaking crazy especially on a running back group like Bijan robinson and tyler algier these dudes who are just so strong and so mobile and so agile on their feet and able to break so many tackles he had 11 tackles all solo by the way three tfls and two pass breakups again you can almost bunch the entirety of the lions defense into this one as well because they did have seven sacks as a unit they only allowed six points um only allowed Bijan to rush for 33 yards which is probably the most impressive feat of all those numbers even that's including you know having seven sacks this dallas or sorry this detroit defense played out of their minds but brian branch really was the leader and probably the best player on their defensive their defensive unit that's what i'm gonna say uh, this weekend but let's talk about my one last winner before we get into losers from the weekend and that's cincinnati's front four this has been a very prominent part of this Bengals team over the past couple years and a huge reason why they've been so dominant in that time span. Obviously, bringing in Joe Murrow and Jamar Chase was just as important, if not the most important, but a very underrated part of the Cincinnati team is this front four. I think their defense as a whole is really underrated, but their front four made incredibly clutch plays for them uh, down the stretch last year and the year before that, frankly. I mean, think about that B.J. Hill play against patrick mahomes in the afc championship game two years ago or was that divisional game no that was the that was a championship game it's stuff like that trey hendrickson you know over the past three years i think he's like fourth in the league in sacks so got to give a lot of credit to the cincinnati Bengals defensive line because they were i, w I don't want to say a no-show in the first couple weeks but they were definitely underwhelming trey hendrickson and dj reader a lot of those guys a lot of their bigger names were not showing up like you expect them to they showed up in a massive way in this game last weekend against the rams matthew stafford was under consistent pressure and they forced six punts and they got home for six sacks so a really great week for the cincinnati's Cincinnati Bengals front four, excuse me, and this is what you can expect the Cincinnati's front four to look like going forward. I think this is more of a tell of the, um, this is more of the norm than it is an outlier, is what I should say. And I think going forward, you can really expect this team to only improve in that regard and really come back to where they were over the past couple years because again it was a really really big part of this team and one of the many reasons why they've been so successful over the past couple years so without further ado let's get into some losers from the weekend all right this is probably going to be the shortest segment of the episode again i mentioned earlier i like to be optimistic on this channel don't like to talk about this type of stuff so much but it does have to be addressed and i think it's no surprise to say the first loser of the weekend in my opinion has to be jimmy garoppolo this dude did not have a good game at all he's extremely fortunate that he has someone like Devonte adams on his team because Devonte is incredible 13 catches 172 yards two touchdowns for Devonte. if you have him in fantasy football you had an absolute great week you probably won your matchup this week because of him or at least he definitely helped secure a win um but jimmy garoppolo three really bad interceptions it's crazy to think that he even had an opportunity at the end of this game to win it especially given the really weird call that josh mcdaniels made that decision was very strange if you don't know what i'm talking about basically the raiders there was three minutes left in the clock and they were down by a touchdown so they needed to get a touchdown anyways um but mike mcdaniels was on the steelers 30 yard line i believe it was fourth and three i don't remember the exact scenario i probably should have looked it up before this but i just wrote down the notes of the scenario um but mike mcdaniels chose to kick a field goal and then they ended up getting the ball back which i guess kind of worked out for them anyways but there was just too little time too late for jimmy garoppolo to you know get something going at the very end of the game there um and of course they would have needed the touchdown and the two-point conversion because it was 15 to 23 at the time i get all that but it's like you're gonna need the touchdown anyways it just felt like a very very strange decision to me josh jacobs did play a little bit better in this one and the fact that he didn't go for like negative yards and he also had above like 50 yards because it's been a while since we've seen that from josh jacobs it's been since last year um but either way jimmy garoppolo just did not play well at all in this one again his stats are insanely padded because of the dominance of Devonte adams and outside of targeting Devonte, there really wasn't anyone else in this offense that really got going i know uh jacoby myers had seven catches in this one as well but they were playing from behind a lot in this game and i just really am not a big believer in jimmy garoppolo whatsoever and i think his stock really does have to be down after this one um 
just some really bad turnovers, some really bad decision making. And I just still cannot fathom or understand the decision to go from Derek Carr to Jimmy Garoppolo for basically the exact same price tag. It's just a really, really weird decision for me. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but Jimmy Garoppolo, you're a loser from this weekend. Up next, um, I think the Washington Commanders just as a whole have to be mentioned. Sam Howell deserves some blame. He made some really bad decisions in this one. So more of that like careless gunslinger mentality came out where he just trust his arm a little too much and he was only throwing absolute fastballs where if you put touch on some of these balls I don't think they would have been intercepted but his O-line got pummeled as a whole too I was really hoping that the Washington Commanders could just show their fans something at home to be hopeful for because I know how good this Buffalo Bills defense is and how good this team is as a whole. They're legitimate contenders in the AFC. Um, they have been for quite a few years now, but I really wanted Washington to come out and make a statement in this one. They did the exact opposite. They got completely dominated in all assets of the game, and I think it's just fair enough to say that it, the Washington Commanders are really just losers as a whole. I was going to say Sam Howell, but the more I talk about it, the more it's just like... It was just complete and utter dominance from the Buffalo Bills. I mean, even if you just look at the stats of the game, which I'm looking up right now, if you can hear me typing, I mean, it's just, it tells the whole story, right? Total yards, 386 for the Bills, 234. The Washington Commanders, excuse me. Uh, the, the Bills had an outrageous amount of sacks. They had nine sacks against. So... Bills just made it look really, really easy against the Washington Commanders. And I know that it's one of those things where like it gets out of hand quickly and the numbers can look worse for the Commanders because they're playing so desperately and they're playing from so far behind. But I just never wanted to see it get to that place in the first place. I mean, even looking at the third down conversion, they were one for nine from third downs. They only had 15 first downs all game long. It was just not a good look. Also, four interceptions thrown by Sam Howell. Don't know if I mentioned that part. A lot of them were avoidable i think one or two probably weren't on him but uh, man it was just overall really really tough especially for a team that i was really hyping up going into this week and i thought you know could really show nfl fans just the entire league as a whole i thought they could put i wasn't taking them to win this game by any means but I did say before this game that they can definitely put the league on notice and it would be a hell of a statement if they can just keep it close it was not even remotely close the buffalo bills defense absolutely turned it on josh allen honestly didn't have that great of a game himself uh, against this washington defense he threw another one of those josh allen just what are we doing type interceptions where it just feels extremely re reckless with the football but all in all it didn't matter this buffalo bills team is just far better and far more deep than this washington commanders team and again i'm i'm a little bit disappointed because i was really hoping that the washington commanders could put the rest of the team on notice that's not what ended up happening and honestly i think it was just like a it was another statement game from the washington or excuse me from the buffalo bills showing that week one was a fluke and they are one of the most complete and deepest teams in the entire league uh, i love this buffalo bills defense their defensive line is super deep has a lot of rotation along along it uh greg russo leonard floyd ed oliver all those dudes showed up really really big in this one also shout out um bernard why can't i remember his name right now wait let me see if i can find his first name um the buffalo bills terrell bernard he is playing out of his mind the past couple weeks he had another interception in this one two more sacks to add on so shout out terrell bernard really really good player playing really well there for the buffalo bills um this is a team that just always seems to find studs and they've got a lot of studs especially defensively hopefully their offense can bring it together a little more because it wasn't all that bad stefan diggs did the stefan diggs things eight catches 111 yards but you expect and also james cook been great along the ground it's really refreshing to see a running back be consistent in buffalo we haven't seen that honestly since shady mccoy was there whenever that was five or six years ago but josh allen you ex you need if you're a Buffalo fan, that's that's your biggest worry right now. You need Josh Allen to play better. He didn't play well at all in this one. It just didn't matter because it was just an all-around team ass-whooping. My last loser of the week, this Titans offensive line. Miles Garrett and the rest of Browns just absolutely had their way with this unit. This offensive line has been struggling mightily all season long. Peter Skaronsky is a bright spot along that offensive line, but you addressed it in the offseason with Andre Dillard. It's not seeming to make much of a difference, and it is currently your biggest weakness on the entirety of the roster 
also just some weird stuff going on with the way they've been using Derrick Henry. I know that he's not much of a receiving back and he's not really made for third downs and Tajay Spears has been their third down guy, but if you're only going to have Derrick Henry come in on running plays, it's just going to make the play call that much more obvious and my point is this Titans offensive line is one of the worst in the entire league and it's going to cost them a lot of football games unless they figure something out very quickly. Now, let's get into the preview segments for week four. Okay, first off, let's cover some of my favorite matchups from this week. Um, I think we need to start with the Lions at the Packers. This is for the lead in the division of the NFC North. We all know what happened the last time the Lions went to Lambeau Field. It was Aaron Rodgers' last game there. The Lions were playing for essentially nothing because the Seahawks won their game and already made the playoffs. But Dan Campbell doesn't go out without a fight. He wanted to stick it to the Green Bay Packers. Shout out to Dan Campbell. That was really cool of him. And they ended up beating... Aaron Rodgers and Randall Cobb in their last game in Lambeau. So, will it be something similar to that game? Potentially. Um, I really don't know. Jordan Love is coming off of a come-from-behind win and played great up to this point, but could this be the game where he finally comes back down to earth a little bit? We saw this Lions defense play really, really well last week. Again, granted, Jordan Love is not Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter is much worse than Jordan Love. I'm more than willing to accept that by now. But, could this be the game where Jordan Love throws his first pick? I could definitely see that happening. Also, David Montgomery, Aaron Jones, more than likely going to be back in this one. Those dudes are both huge impact players that change the identity of their offense when they are playing. Uh, David Montgomery, when he's in there, they like to run a lot more you know, power, play action, work off of that. Aaron Jones is a running back that can do a little bit of everything, can receive a little bit. I feel a sneeze coming. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Aaron Jones is a running back who can do a little bit of everything. Sorry about that. <laughs> but either way, this should be a really, really interesting matchup. I'm really excited to see what happens in this one. I think these are teams that... I think these have to be the favorites in the NFC North. I don't think that's any debate at this moment. And again, I'm really impressed with what the Green Bay Packers have been able to do. It's very disappointing as a Bears fan to see it. But I got to give them their credit. They've been... Playing really, really well. Jordan Love has been playing mistake-free. Their offensive weapons have been showing up when they need them to, especially, you know, from a lot of young guys. Shout out Jaden Reed. He's been incredible for them out of Michigan State, rookie. Romeo Dobbs is someone who I was really, really high on coming into this season. I was telling you guys to take Romeo Dobbs over Christian Watson in fantasy, not like straight up. But I mean, like where their value was, given that Christian Watson was going super early and you could get Romeo Dobbs way later in the draft. And as of right now, that's looking like the right decision. Romeo Dobbs has been really, really good. Honestly, has been like the wide receiver one in this offense. Um, but Jordan Love just playing his game, looking a lot like Aaron Rodgers back there. It's obvious that the mentorship really rubbed off on him. And he's been playing incredible. But on the flip side of that, Jared Goff, he's been playing incredible football himself. And this Lions offense is just so well balanced. We know how good this offensive line is. They definitely have a good shot of neutralizing this Packers defensive line, which I think doesn't get enough credit how deep they are and how just impressive they can be. I mean, if you just look at some of the names, Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, obviously adding Van Ness. They still have Devontae Wyatt. There's just a lot of depth pieces along that defensive line. So that's going to be a really interesting matchup with the Detroit Lions and their elite offensive line. And then, of course, just all around, can this Lions secondary play the way that they played last week? Can Brian Branch be as good as he looked last week? This is going to be a really, really fun matchup. I'm super here for it. It's obviously in prime time for a reason. This is going to be tomorrow night's game. Depending on where you're listening to this, this might already have happened. But my prediction for this game, give me the Lions 24-20. to 20. Don't really have too solid of a reason and... I just trust the Lions a little bit more, um, want to see a little bit more from Jordan Love, and frankly, fuck the Packers, respectfully. Up next, Ravens and Browns, another divisional game. Deshaun Watson and the Browns finally got something going in the past game last week, but can they keep it going? That's really going to be the question in this one. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that the Titans secondary is not very good at all, and he did have a backwards pass at one point in that game. It, I don't know what the fuck he was thinking there, but but he genuinely did have some really good throws in this one, and it probably was his best game as a Brown. If you just look at individual plays, he his highlights were the highest of highs that he's had so far in Cleveland. He did make some really impressive throws. Despite the secondary not being all that good, 
there's times where you can just look at the placement of balls and you can say like, oh no, that was, that was actually a good ball. Like that wasn't the DB just getting torched. That was Deshaun making the right play. And we know how good this defense has been for the Browns and this Ravens defense, or sorry, this Ravens offense is still dealing with a plethora of injuries, especially in the running back room. It sounds like Melvin Gordon is going to be their starter this week. Um, I don't know if Gus Edwards is going to be back. I think he had a concussion last game, if I'm not mistaken. But on the other side, you know, the Ravens have had a ton of injuries. Their offense has slowed down in the last week. So I really do think that this game could get ugly. We know how good this Browns defense has been the first three weeks of the season. I think Deshaun comes back down to earth a little bit against this Ravens secondary, which is far improved compared to the Titans secondary that Deshaun faced last week. And overall, I just think this might be one of those classic AFC North just ugly games i think it could be really really scoring the over under kind of represents that at 42 points right now um i'll get to that once i talk to my best bets because spoiler alert it's going to be one of them but i think both of these defenses give these offenses a hard time and i think we could see a lot of field goals a lot of punts i think deshaun watson comes back down to earth a little bit i totally understand why the browns are favored in this one especially being at home just given how good their defense has been um but I'm just very excited to see what happens in this game because I think it's going to be really, really competitive. And I love watching these types of divisional matchups. Um, very excited to see what happens in this one. And I think both defenses are going to be the storyline coming out of this game. Up next, let's talk Dolphins versus Bills. You guessed it, another divisional game. Sorry, they're just more important. It's just the reality of it. Besides, the Dolphins are absolute must-watch football team right now. Um, I mean, frankly, both of these teams are really great teams, so it's no bold statement to say the difference will likely be in the turnover battle. Like, no shit, obviously. That's how most games tend to go. But that's where it gets really interesting because Josh Allen has been pretty turnover-prone to start the season, and Tua Tagovailoa has not been turnover-prone at all. He's been very, very clean with the, with the ball and protecting it very, very well. But if you look at the flip side of that, the Bills defense is extremely good at forcing turnovers. Obviously, talked about it a little bit earlier in this episode, they forced five turnovers last week and recorded nine sacks. So again, forcing turnovers, forcing three and outs, forcing you know punting situations. Um, whereas going against the Miami Dolphins, they rarely ever punt. They're almost always on the field and their offense is just ridiculously explosive, leading the league in basically every single offensive category. And the Dolphins' defense has been lackluster at getting home to quarterbacks. They haven't had many sacks on this on the year. They had a good amount of quarterback hits against Russell Wilson this last week, but not a lot of sacks, not a lot of turnovers. So it's kind of going to be interesting to see which one breaks first, what's going to you know bend in the direction of favoring one team or another. Is it going to be, is this Bills' defense going to you know crack down on Tua and force him to make mistakes, or is Josh Allen you know going to continue to make the mistakes he's been making and you know, cause a turnover to against this Miami Dolphins team. This is sitting at the higher highest over under of the weekend at 53 and a half points. I think it makes total sense why it'd be that high. It is in Buffalo. I'm super bummed this game's not in prime time. And instead we have to watch Zach Wilson versus Patrick Mahomes. But again, it's not like the NFL, um, you know, schedule makers knew that Zach Wilson was going to be the starter in New York again. So you can't get too mad about it, but either way, I really just think the biggest X factor in this one is turnovers, which unit is going to force the other one to crack and, you know, cause more turnovers. And I'm super, super excited to see this game. And of course, this will be for the division lead. If the Bills win, they're three and one, but they have a tiebreaker over the Dolphins. If the Dolphins win, they go to four and oh for the first time in franchise history. So really, really excited to see for this one. And it has to be, I think this is probably like the matchup of the week. Um, and let's move on to the next one. Patriots at Cowboys. I know this might be a little bit surprised to some people, but I just think this could be a really, really sneaky game. And I think the Patriots really need this one. They, you know, you cannot drop to one and three, especially in the division that they're playing in. I know that the Jets are kind of like a freebie considered to them because they beat them for like every single time for seven years in a row. But at the end of the day, the Dolphins, excuse me, <coughs> at the end of the day, the Dolphins and the Bills <clears throat> are still two of the better teams in the league. Obviously, being in a division against them, dropping to one and three would be a very, very big deal and would not be great at all. But I think the Patriots defense, I love what they're doing first off. And second off, I think in a lot of ways, they match up really well with the Cowboys. I think they could give the Cowboys a lot of the same problems that the Cardinals gave them last week. Obviously, if the Cowboys fix up some of their penalty issues, you know they won't run into some of those problems that they ran into because a lot of those 
wounds were definitely self-inflicted for the Cowboys last week, but the Patriots, Bill Belichick, he is known for forcing you into situations that you're not comfortable in. Dak Prescott, you know, not always the best at taking care of the football. He's been better so far this year, but he hasn't really gotten it against a defense like the Patriots yet either and this Patriots defense is loaded I would feel a lot more confident about the Patriots pulling off an upset if it was in Gillette Stadium and not in AT&T Stadium in Dallas but at the end of the day I'm really looking forward to this one because I think it's two desperate teams Dallas needs this win to bounce back and get that taste out of their mouth of getting humiliated by the Arizona Cardinals uh, I think they looked over their opponent a little bit what did Siri just pick up from that interesting Sorry about that. Um, I thought I muted this shit. Did I not mute this shit? I didn't. I didn't silence my ringer. Now it's silenced. Either way, either way. What was I? What was? Where was I? Where was I? Um, oh yeah, I think the Cowboys need to get you know that taste out of their mouth of losing to the Arizona Cardinals. I think they looked past them a little bit and kind of dismissed them. Probably looking forward to this Patriots game. So I think they want to come out and make a statement immediately. And the Patriots, again, I just think there's a, in a lot of different ways they match up really well. I'm really curious to see if Christian Gonzalez is going to be like kept on an island against CeeDee Lamb because that is going to be a really intriguing matchup. Two physical freaks on the outside, and Christian Gonzalez has been playing incredible to start his rookie year. So I'm really excited to see that matchup. And then can this Dallas defense, or excuse me, can this Dallas offense just perform in the red zone as a whole? You know, not looking beyond specific matchups like CD versus Gonzalez. Can this Dallas offense just get out of its own way in the red zone? Because that really has been their biggest kryptonite this year. I'm going to pause this really quick. Sorry about that. There was a bus outside my window. Either way, I think this Patriots defense has an amazing opportunity here to pr prove to the world that they can keep them in any game against any offense. And I think the Dallas Cowboys, on the flip side of that, have an amazing opportunity to say, like, last week was a fluke. We're still a great defense. We're still an amazing offense. Let's rub this off and let's prove to the world that we're one of the best teams in the NFC. So next we got the Rams versus the Colts. I'm not going to spend that much time on this one. This is more of a personal one, but I just think the idea of the Colts sneaking into three and one to start the season, a quarter of the year being three and one is just a really fun storyline because I think they match up really well against the Rams. The Rams allowed a ton of pressure last week against the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think DeForest Buckner could have a really, really good game in this one. Again, the, the Colts had an amazing defensive showcase against the baltimore ravens last week and i think they could do something similar against this rams team uh it is in that in pepe it is in indianapolis in indianapolis that's such a weird saying this in indianapolis um if i'm not mistaken and i'm just really excited to see this matchup for one reason or another there's no like particular reason it's more so i just think there's a really good chance the colts win it and if the colts go to three and one i think it's a really interesting storyline for the entire league so let's get into my fantasy starts and sits. All right, so fantasy starts and sits, one of the most requested <laughs> requested segments of the entire podcast. Let's start with running backs, some running backs you should be starting. Obviously, you're going to be starting Aaron Jones and David Montgomery, two guys that are coming back from injuries and actually playing against each other. Their roles are very solidified in this offense. We know exactly what they're going to do. We know that they're easily going to get 15 carries if they're healthy. I expect them to be fully back and healthy by the tomorrow depending on where you're listening to this they might have already played so let's skip over that it doesn't have to be talked about too much but let's start Javante Williams versus the Bears only the Broncos have allowed more points to running backs this year and that's only because they just allowed Raheem Mostert and Devon A-Chain to go absolutely dumb so I think Javante Williams is kind of a must start because this Bears defense has been abysmal I know that it's in Chicago, but Javante Williams, I still 100% believe in the town. He's a very tough runner. Um, would love to see him in a Chicago Bears uniform, honestly. But Javante Williams is a must start. Let's start Devon A-Chain as well. He took the most of his opportunities there. And honestly, it wasn't one of those situations where they pulled the starters and Raheem Mostert was off the field late. So Devon just ate later in the game. Devon was getting the carries before they even pulled away in this game. It was basically a 50-50 split backfield. And I think because of that, you just need to give him the opportunity and see what else he has there. I don't expect him to go for four touchdowns and 200 yards again. But I mean, this offense just looks absolutely unstoppable right now. I know this Bills defense is much improved, but I'm just trusting Mike McDaniels in his scheme to get this guy open and in space. And once he does, that 4-3-2 speed is gonna take over. Start Devon A-Chain, be a little bit wary of it, but I 
I would do it personally. And I just really think that this is going to be a consistent thing going forward. Him and Raheem Moster are really going to be seeing more of a 50-50 split carry, uh, splitting carries, excuse me, than we think. But that's not necessarily a bad thing when you're in an offense that's this damn good and he's going to get the opportunities that he's going to get. Up next, let's start Alexander Madison versus the Panthers. Kind of a similar argument to Javante Williams where Alexander Madison, you know, hasn't been the most effective. Last week, he did have over 20 carries against the Los Angeles Chargers, and he also caught three balls through the air. So his usage is 100% there. Again, same argument for Javante Williams, where his usage, he is basically the only guy in this backfield. But the Panthers are, have been very, very bad against running backs in fantasy points. They're allowing the third most points to fantasy running backs right now. Expect Alexander Madison to have a great role in this offensive plan and I like Alexander Madison as a start this week. Up next, Zach Moss. Uh, his opportunity share has been absolutely ridiculous. He played like I think it was every single snap last week. I think for the past two weeks he's played every single snap. But until you see regression, until he's not making the most out of it, start Zach Moss. I mean, there's really no reason not to. He's not competing with anybody for snaps. And that's basically the only argument I have for this one. This Colts offensive line is much improved than they were last year because they're actually healthy. It's basically the same unit, but because they're healthy, they're much improved. And Zach Moss is a guy who we've seen inconsistency in his past, but until i see him getting less touches the opportunities are absolutely there he's an rb1 not the most favorable matchup in the los angeles rams but favorable enough and again it's not like the ravens were a very favorable matchup and he got 122 yards on them so until i see that he gets less touches zach moss is going to be a must start be wary of kyron williams i mentioned it a little earlier i think the rams should really be on upset alert this week against the colts just because i love this colts defensive line i like the way they match up against the rams i know that kyron williams is in the same kind of boat as Zach Moss, where he's playing nearly every single snap and he can catch the ball out of the backfield. So there's an argument there to be made, like even if they're down, he's still gonna see the opportunities, but I just don't see him having a very effective day along the ground. And we know how pass happy this Rams offense can be. I think a lot of the touchdowns and those golden opportunities are gonna be going to the Rams receivers. So I'd be wary of Kyle Williams. I still think you're gonna start him, but just start him with caution. And if there's a guy like, if you're between him and Alexander Madison, as crazy as it sounds, I'd probably be taking Alexander Madison over him. A sleeper for this week at the running back position is going to be Jarek McKinnon. Uh, he found... God, I need to pause this again, dude. God, these buses can fuck off. Anyways, Jarek McKinnon, kind of the same argument there where... <laughs> He had a great, great opportunity to share in the red zone. Kind of played that same role that we saw from him at the beginning, or sorry, at the end of last year, where he gets not a lot of carries along the ground, but he's just another weapon in the receiving game, and they like to use him in the red zone. Going against the New York Jets, I know that this defense is really good, but there might be an opportunity for him in the red zone, especially if the Chiefs get up early and Zach Wilson's not playing his best football and they're in favorable field position. So I'm not going out here and saying, like, absolutely start Jarek McKinnon. You have to start him this week. But if you're in a deeper league and you need a sleeper guy, Jarek McKinnon can definitely fill a void in your roster. Now let's get into some guys that I'm sitting at the running back position. First off, Brian Robinson versus the Philadelphia Eagles. He had an incredible game against the Denver Broncos, came back down to earth a little bit. Even though his yards per carry were actually fantastic he only had 10 carries last week because that game just got so out of hand um, you can argue like well if it doesn't get so out of hand you know his his averages have been great um, this is another week where it might get out of hand they're playing against the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia if I'm not mistaken even if it's not it doesn't really matter we know how good this Eagles defensive line has been Jalen Carter has been fantastic for them and even beyond that just the amount of depth they have along this defensive line it really is truly one of the identities of this team bench Brian Robinson this week and honestly bench like every single Washington commander that you have. Um, I was going to bring up Terry McLaurin a little bit later as a sit, but I guess you can bunch them all together right here. Also, same argument for uh, Jarek McKinnon and just the opposite side of that scale. Sit Brees Hall against Kansas City. This is a game that might get away from the Jets pretty early. They might not be running the ball a whole lot. Um, I think the only way he really gets a lot of points in this one is if he does have like one of those long breakaway runs, which I mean, I guess there's a world where that can happen, but you really can't bank on those kinds of things. Brees Hall is a fantastic football player, but from a fantasy perspective, when you're playing along Zach Wilson, it definitely hinders your ceiling. Bench Brees Hall this week. 
another one that's going to be not that popular in my opinion and some of you guys will definitely not agree with me on this one but i'm benching joe mixon i don't think joe mixon is that good as a running back just entirely he's been very inefficient along the ground for a couple years now and the tennessee titans although their secondary is really bad <laughs> there it is fuck dude i've been holding that sneeze in for like this entire episode that's crazy to me um what was i saying the titans defensive line is fantastic their secondary really bad defensive line fantastic i think joe burrow needs to be getting the ball out of his hands very very quickly in this one so for that reason you can make the argument well maybe joe mixon's going to see a lot of screen passes in this one and i understand that argument but i really think we're just going to get tyler boyd spam in this one jamar chase slant spam in this one um we know the game plan going in this one. Joe Burrow does not want to re-aggravate that calf. You can't hold on to the ball very long against this Tennessee defense because their secondary, or excuse me, because their defensive line is going to get home eventually. So I think we see the ball getting out of Jamar Chase's hands, or excuse me, getting out of Joe Burrow's hands. What am I saying? Very, very quickly. Sorry, I've been talking for way too long. I need this episode to end. Goddamn. <laughs> but for those reasons, I'm going to be mentioning Joe Mixon. Another one, and I feel like this is pretty damn obvious, bench James Conner against San Francisco. San Francisco's defensive line, defense as a whole, is just incredible. I think this is where the Cardinals come back down to earth and they look like one of the worst teams in the league like we thought they were going to be before the season. Um, I expect the Niners to make a statement in this one. I know it's a divisional rival. I really don't care. This Niners team is just way more talented than the Arizona Cardinals. That talent is going to be very apparent in this one. James Conner, I don't expect him to do much against this Cowboys defensive line. So, bench James Conner. Let's get on to some wide receivers, some guys that I will be starting. Cortland Sutton is the first one. Again, same argument for Javante Williams. This Bears defense is absolutely abysmal. Cortland Sutton was able to find some success against this Miami Dolphins defense last week when he was forced into the more wide receiver one role. I know Jerry Judy is back from his injury, but uh, I'm just wary of Jerry Judy. I just don't like Jerry Judy that much. I never have. Uh, I've never been very high on him. I think Cortland Sutton is just a better receiver, and I don't get why that's such a like topic of debate or why that's such a hot topic. Um, and I just think Cortland Sutton has played better and the little limited time that we've seen both of them on the field this this year, uh, him and Russell Wilson seem to have a pretty good connection there. And again, the Bears defense is just really, really bad. So start up Quillen Sutton. Another one, start up Gabe Davis. I know that Gabe Davis is like the definition of boomer bust. I think he only caught one ball last week, but it did go for a touchdown. Uh, but if the Buffalo Bills are going to have any chance of keeping up with the Miami Dolphins, they're going to be throwing the ball a lot. Gabe Davis is normally the beneficiary of those big plays. So Gabe Davis is someone that I will be starting this week. It could be one of those big boom Gabe Davis weeks where he has multiple touchdowns over 100 yards. Just throwing it out there. And probably only on like five or six catches. But definitely could happen. Up next, let's be wary of Amari Cooper. We're still going to start him because I don't think you're ever going to bench Amari Cooper, but just tamper expectations a little bit with him going against the Baltimore Ravens. This secondary is really good, and I think Deshaun Watson could come back down to earth a little bit. But we're going to be starting Adam Thielen as well. That's my last start of the week. Uh, this Vikings secondary has not been very good at all. Adam Thielen played really, really well last week against the Seattle Seahawks de uh, defense, and Andy Dalton might be back in the starting lineup, which... I believe in Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young can be a good quarterback in this league and po probably will be a good quarterback in this league. But right now, he's just a rookie. He has a lot to work on in his game. And if Andy Dalton's going to be starting in this one, Adam Thielen is going to be at the benefit of that one. Even though Andy Dalton's not an elite quarterback, they're going to be playing from behind more than likely in this game. The Miami, or excuse me, Miami Vikings, Jesus Christ. The Minnesota Vikings are still one of the better offenses in the entirety of the league. They've proven that they can put up points and hang around. They showed that against the Eagles. They showed that against the Chargers. Um, and for those reasons, I think the Panthers are going to be playing catch up in this one. Adam Thielen should be the beneficiary of that. Start him up in your fantasy leagues this week. Some guys that I'm going to be sitting this week, not honestly, not too many guys really come to mind when I was going through this, but Terry McLaurin mentioned him earlier, just going against an Eagles team. That's probably going to be very dominant against the Washington commanders. I expect Sam Howell to have another not great performance in this one. I'll say it nicely. Um, the Buccaneers wide receivers, again, same sort of argument. They're going against the Saints. The Saints secondary has been incredible, and the Saints have had the Buccaneers number over the past couple years. Not, you know, now that 
Baker Mayfield is coming in, I expect that train to absolutely continue. I don't think it's going to be any different from when Tom Brady was there. And I'm going to be sitting the Buccaneers wide receivers in this one. That includes Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. I know that's really hard, tough to say because Mike Evans has been off to an incredible start of the season. But I just really trust the Saints secondary. Alante Taylor, Paulson Adebo, Marshawn Lattimore, all those dudes are playing really, really good football right now. And Baker Mayfield, I think he's going to come back down to earth a little bit this one. And it is in the Superdome. I know that Derek Carr is probably going to be out and the Buccaneers might have some favorable field positions if Jameis Winston's going to be causing some turnovers there. I just don't really care enough. I just don't think the upside is there. And I think the Saints secondary is really, really good. I don't think Baker Mayfield's that good. I think he has a regression of a game. And I'm going to be benching the Bucks wide receivers because of it. I know how hard it is to bench Mike Evans, though. I totally understand the argument. Just me personally, if he was on my squad, I'd be trying to find someone that I could start over him. That's all I'm saying. And then up next, and this isn't going to be a surprise at all, DeAndre Hopkins. This Titans offense has been abysmal. I don't think it's a hot take to say you should bench DeAndre Hopkins this week against a Cincinnati's team that has really found their groove defensively. We saw what their front four was able to do against the Rams this last week. I think we're going to see similar success against this Titans offensive line, which looks like it is one of the worst in the entire league. And that's going to affect Ryan Tannehill, which is then in, a, in effect going to, you know, screw up deandre hopkins and his production so without further ado let's get into the final segment of today's show my best bets okay to wrap up today's episode let's talk about my best bets first of which is patriots giving seven points or taking seven points i guess from the dallas cowboys i'm taking patriots plus seven I know that it's in Dallas, but I just, I already talked about it a lot throughout earlier in this episode, so I won't go over it too much. I talked about it as being one of my favorite matchups. I just think this Patriots defense is really, really underrated and really good. I think they're going to give Dak Prescott some problems. I think CeeDee Lamb matching up against Christian Gonzalez is going to be really interesting and should be a really fun spectacle to watch. But all in all, I know that this Patriots offense is not very explosive and could get exposed by this Cowboys defense. I just think that this Cowboys offense is going to be exposed a little bit by this Patriots defense. Um, that's making it sound like a recipe for an under, but really I, how I see it is I think the Patriots are going to keep it within a touchdown. I don't think they're going to win this game by any means, but I feel like seven points is just too many for Belichick. You really can't count them out in that regard. And last year they played and went into overtime. Obviously that game was in New England, so the circumstances are a little bit different, but I think this team is going to be – or these – this game, excuse me, is going to be really competitive, and I really, really like Patriots plus seven. Up next, Dolphins money line. Let's fucking do it. Whatever. They're looking like the best team in the league. Uh, they haven't had many turnovers at all offensively. This Bills defense has looked like one of the best units in the league, but if there's any offense that can keep up with them, I really do think it's the Miami Dolphins. No team in the NFL has seemingly had an answer for them. I don't think the Buffalo Bills will have a very clear one yet either. I think Josh Allen probably has a turnover or two and just bad moments in this game and i think miami dolphins make a statement go into buffalo and win yeah i think I'm, i think they do up next let's go Bengals minus two and a half at titans again i just kind of brought this up in the fantasy segment but i really do think that this Bengals defensive line has found their groove found their identity and i think they're going to give ryan Tannehill a hell of a time I think the Titans are not going to get much going offensively at all. This could be a little bit of a lower scoring game. I probably should have checked the over-under now that I think about it, but I just like Cincinnati to win by at least a field goal. I think their defense leads the way in this one. I don't think Joe Burrow needs to do too much. Again, just get the ball out of his hands quickly. Don't take hits. Keep that calf you know, loose and healthy. Don't try and drag defenders around. Don't try and extend plays. Just get the ball out of your hands quickly. Do what they did last week and get after the quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. With all those reasons, I think that they're going to win by more than two and a half points. Up next in my final one, I want to, I'm going to talk about one more after this, but I don't really know if it's a best bet. I just think it's kind of an interesting bet, um, and I was kind of surprised that they were underdogs. But let's talk about the under in the Ravens-Browns game. I talked about this a lot earlier. I talked about all these games earlier, so that's really not why I'm not going into too great of detail about this one, but... I just love what I've seen from this Browns defense. This Ravens offense is beat up in almost every single facet. Uh, they're missing their starting tackle. Their center is still beat up. Uh, their running backs, they, they're down to Melvin Gordon, which is never a recipe for success anymore. Obviously, no disrespect, Melvin Gordon had his time there, but he's not what he used to be. 
at all. This game is in Cleveland. I don't know what the weather is going to be like. If it's shitty weather, I would be even more inclined to take this under, but the over-under is currently sitting, depending on your book, whoa, got a motorcycle ripping up my street, sorry about that. Depending on your book, it's probably like 42 or 41 points. Either way, I would definitely be taking the under in this one. I think we're going to see a classic snot fest AFC North just bloodbath. Both these teams are going to be beating each other up. Both these defenses are playing far better than their offenses right now, and I really like the Ravens-Browns game to be under 42 or 41, whatever it is in your book, points. Now, before I get out of here, I want to quickly talk about Seahawks money line at the New York Giants. I just like this one because the Giants do match up pretty well with the Seahawks as far as Dexter Lawrence could have a really good game for himself. The Seahawks, one of their biggest weaknesses, especially on offense, is that center guard center. Um, center guard center, what did I just say? guard center guard interior of their offensive line so for that reason i think it could be really competitive but i just trust geno smith and this offense to get it done i really like what they did against the excuse me against the carolina panthers and also against the detroit lions two weeks ago so that's definitely a line you know worth checking out if you're feeling bold and you really like the seahawks i would take it i'm not going to include it in my best bets and just to go over everything really quickly before i end this episode I'm taking Dolphins money line versus Bills, Patriots plus seven at the Cowboys, Bengals minus two and a half at the Titans, and under 42 points in the Ravens at Browns game. So that's going to do it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sorry it was so long, but that's the only episode I have this week. So this is all you're going to be hearing from me. Uh, that took a lot of fucking effort, and I've been talking for way too long. So. I might go take a nap. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Be sure to follow me here on Spotify or Apple Music, wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Be sure to follow my Instagram over at Murphy's League. Share this to your friends and family. I appreciate each and every single one of y'all. Peace out.